Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Thanks, Michael. Three times a day, across the 122 legally registered casinos in Las Vegas, special, don't ask me how I know there's 122. <laughs> there are highly trained, specialized, technologically advanced security men and women that descend into the bowels of those buildings into rooms about 15 by 20 feet with 50 to 100 monitors everywhere and they sit down at a desk and they have a little joystick and they have headphones on and they have screens everywhere and they begin to monitor probably around 100 square 100,000 square feet of casino floor and they are equipped with some of the world's greatest technology. Things like invisible ink that prints invisible barcodes onto the cards so that there are lasers that read those barcodes to make sure people aren't switching cards in and out. And specialized facial recognition cameras that can identify who people are and if there are two random people that walk into a casino and both of those people happen to be on the cheaters list or the registered uh, list of people who are they need to watch out for, they'll be alerted to them and they'll go find them. There are motion detectors and weight scales on tables all over the place and millions upon millions of dollars are spent year after year in these places designed to catch their enemy. Now, it's a different lesson at a different time to talk about how casinos might be the enemy, but um, uh, today what I want you to see, the point is this. Why do they spend so much time and money and effort to do this? What, why? What's the point of that? They know that they have an enemy, an opponent, and their enemy or their opponent is cheaters, people that cheat the system and try to cheat them out of their money. And they know that they have to stop their opponent. And to stop their opponent, they've got to know their opponent. They've got to know the schemes and the tricks and the moves. They've got to be watching them. And they can never sleep on their movements. Last week, we started a series that we're going to be teaching this fall called Ready for War. And we're trying to alert each and every one of us that there is a spiritual battle raging in the world and in us, that if we're not aware of, we are going to lose badly. And we learned that this battle is fought not in the flesh, but in between your ears, in your mind. And there are lies, lofty opinions, reasonable arguments that seem like they're true but are not, that are told against the truth of who God is and what he has created us to be. And those create false beliefs in the mind of mankind. And Paul called those false beliefs strongholds, things that we retreat to 
to hide from God. And in these strongholds, the battle is this. Satan wants your strongholds to remain. He wants them to stay intact. He wants you to run and hide behind them day after day, week after week, staying inside of your false beliefs that keep you separated from God. And God wants to destroy those strongholds. Well, today we're going to move into talking about, in this battle, the enemy that we're fighting against, Satan himself. We're going to learn, take a hard look at this enemy to understand him so that we can be able to master some of his devices. I want to look, first of all, at his potential. Let's start there. In verses 12 and 13 of the reading that Michael read for you in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13 give you this very nuanced and subtle description of the potential that our enemy has, the potential that he has to work in this world and in our life. There are two realities about Satan that you've got to keep in mind, two realities about the devil that you've got to have clear in your mind to make sure that you operate in the right way. The first one is this, that Satan is powerful. Satan is powerful. Look in verse 12. He says in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but here's what we do wrestle against. We wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, why did Paul just say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, what we wrestle against is the devil, you know that. Why did he go on this long sort of Pauline, fluffy language, you know, big words? Why did he have to go into such extent? I think he's trying to tell us something, that Satan is powerful. He says, first of all, that Satan is the leader of all darkness. He says that he's three things there. He says he's the ruler, he is um, the authority, and he is the cosmic power of darkness. That's what Satan is. Ruler means that he's the first one. That's that's really what that word ruler means, not just in charge. He's going to explain how he's in charge in a minute. But ruler means he was the first one to go, the first one in. He was the first one to wade into the waters of darkness. He's the leader of that front. He is the authority, not meaning just in charge, that we'll get to that in just a moment, but he is the expert. He knows the ins and outs, so just like you would go to an authority on taxes to deal with your tax problem, or you would go to the authority on um, maybe uh, different things like how to fix certain things in your house, who is an authority on that? Satan is the authority of darkness, meaning he is the expert. He knows the ins and the outs of all darkness. And he finishes by saying he is the cosmic, meaning this whole place, power of darkness. He's in charge. He is the leader of darkness. Darkness is a metaphor in the Bible for ignorance of the greatness and glory of God that leads people to immorality and then misery. When you walk the path of darkness, you trip and you fall, you stumble, you slip. When you walk the path of darkness, in that cloud of darkness, there is ignorance about how great and glorious God is. You're hidden from the light, but inside of that, it leads us to a life away from God that ultimately results in uh, misery, and Satan is the leader of that darkness. He's the expert, he's been there the longest, and he's the authority of it, he's the ruler of it. But he's not just the leader of darkness, Satan is also the force 
of wickedness, the force of evil. You notice the end of verse 12, he says that he is the spiritual force of evil. Satan is the driving force, the driving power, the driving energy of evil in this world. Now, we've got to clarify something when I say that. And this is what we have to clarify about this. Satan is, without a doubt, the force of evil in this world. But that does not mean that Satan is solely responsible when evil takes place. Satan himself does not commit murder. He doesn't rob the bank. Satan doesn't sell the actual drug. Satan doesn't scream at the spouse or abuse the child. Satan is not the one that spreads the gossip or tells the lie. That's not who Satan is. Satan doesn't do that. People do that. The ones who lose this spiritual battle against the force of evil end up being a vessel of evil themselves and have responsibility. So there are people who are under the influence, or as Paul would say, the trap or the, uh, the, uh, the grip of Satan, who lose this spiritual battle and act out of their own will, a will that has now been distorted by evil, which is the power of Satan. So first of all, you've got to know that Satan is powerful. That's why Paul is saying all these words like ruler and authority and cosmic power. He is powerful, but number two, you've got to know Satan is limited. He is limited. Look in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Therefore, because of the power of Satan, take up the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against him. Now this phrase, that you may, may be able to stand, is written in a very unique and kind of special way that is um, independent of the English language. You can't really understand, but in the Greek language, it's very unique. It's very special. Um the way that it's been written. It's called the subjunctive mood. You don't need to really like Google that or anything. It's, it's not that cool. But what it actually means is this. When something is written in the subjunctive mood, it means this. What I'm telling you is certain if a condition is met. So the moment a condition is met, this thing is signed, sealed, and delivered. It's going to happen. It is absolutely certain that this will happen if this condition is met. Now look back at that phrase. What's the condition? Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And when that condition is met, what Paul is telling you is that this is, without a doubt, beyond the shadow of any concern or worry, a certainty that you will stand. You see what Paul's trying to say? Satan is limited. He is not more powerful than the armor of God. He is not able to overtake you beyond what you allow him to do. That if we meet the condition of putting on what God is providing for us, we will, without a doubt, no questions asked, with all certainty, stand against him. And so Satan is powerful and Satan is limited. It's this balance that you've got to carefully keep in your mind at all times if you're going to understand Satan. You've got to recognize his power. Listen, he's the master of darkness. He's the great manipulator behind evil. And if you aren't paying attention, he's going to catch you sleeping. And he's going to use his devices and take you down. But at the same time, he's limited. Either extreme will trip you up. There's an analogy I want to use that's probably the best way to explain this, and I run the risk of people like Bill Lau and Abby Hall telling me I did it wrong, so 
hang with me, and if I did this wrong, they'll tell you, okay? If you were to go to a piano right now, let's say a baby grand, you lift the top up off of it, what would you see? You see strings, right? I'm, I'm right so far, is that right, Bill? There's strings in a piano? Okay, okay, there's strings. And if you lifted the top up off of it, and you held down, <clears throat> excuse me, the sustain pedal, which releases all the strings, okay? And you sang into that piano, a certain string would vibrate. You know what that's called? That's called sympathetic vibration. The corresponding string to the tone that you're making with your voice would vibrate because it's matching it. Now, I don't have perfect pitch. I don't have to have pitch at all. So um, I wouldn't know if I went over to Abby's house right now and lifted the piano and started to sing into that piano. I wouldn't know what note I'm singing. I wouldn't know if it was a C or a D. I wouldn't know which scale. I already, I'm already out of my league. But I wouldn't know which string would vibrate. But when I made a tone or a note, there would be a string that vibrates. I have no insight. I have no special power inside of me to decide which string I want to vibrate. Does that make sense? I'm not going to say, you know what, I want the 13th string from the left to vibrate. I'm going to sing this note, and I'm going to do it. I have no power to do that. I just go in there and start singing, and something's going to happen. You see, that's exactly what Satan does. He sings. And he's trying to get strings of people's hearts to vibrate to his song. And he sings a terrible song. In his singing, he makes different strings in different hearts of different people vibrate. Now, he does not have power to walk up to you and say, you know what? I'm going to make this string in you vibrate today because I have power over you. He doesn't do that. If he did, he might be able to manipulate us a little bit more, but he doesn't. You see, what he does is he sings. And we'll find out here in just a moment that when Satan sings, his songs are pretty generic. In fact, the song that Satan oftentimes sings traps not just me or you specifically to us, but they're pretty generic. And most of us get tripped up by them. So let's talk about what his song is. Satan, first of all, has potential, both powerful, but he's limited. Let's look at his practice in verse 11. The end of verse 11 gives us all we really need to know about the work of Satan. It's found both in his name and in his game. You see, his name is the devil. He's called Satan, which just means that which is evil. He's called some other things like the evil one or murderer. He's called Lucifer uh, at one point. But really the word devil is the one that it happens most in Scripture to speak about Satan. He's called the devil. And the devil describes his action. The word devil comes from diabolos, where we get our word diabolical. And what it means is this, a slanderer and an accuser. Now pause for a moment. That name should give you all the insight you need into the power that Satan has. Slander and accusation. Where is that weapon formed? Is it formed with your fists? Is it formed with a bat? Is it, it's formed with your what? Your words. He's a slanderer and an accuser. All this guy does, day in and day out, from morning to night and even through the night, all he does is make false accusations. All he does is lie. He simply says things that are not true. That's it. Satan lies. He's the father of liars. He tells lies constantly. That's all he does. I'm shocked at how many people in our world know 
that we are lied to, and we lie to ourselves constantly. If you go online and use Google, lies we tell ourselves, just Google that. It doesn't matter if they're religious or not religious. There are all kinds of articles on the line, online about lies we tell ourselves, from the Huffington Post to Inc.com, Guardian, NPR, Psychology Today, all of them. Even Target, a retailer, sells a book called Lies We Tell Ourselves. Lies everywhere. We know this. And it stems from this one called the devil, which means slanderer and accuser. But what's his game? See, Paul uses a word here. He says the devil's schemes. That word is actually his methods, the way he works. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in concerning for the church that they might miss the point of church discipline, he says, I want you to be careful and go back to the one that you've disciplined and loved him because I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices, the way Satan works. He's going to mess with you is what Paul knows. You see, he is a liar, Satan. In fact, Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And he's a false accuser. Satan accuses God and lies about God. Satan accuses your friends and your family. He lies about them to you. Satan accuses and lies about you to you. He's lying to us constantly. And in practical terms, what that really means is we think about the schemes of Satan. They can be boiled down into two basic categories. I want to try to help you with some really practical ways to know how Satan works, okay? So we're going to boil all of Satan's schemes, his devices, his methods down into two basic lie categories. Temptation and accusation. Now this is where I want you to etch this into your brain because this week I want you to remember temptation and accusation. When you are lied to this week, it will probably fall under either being tempted or being accused. One of those two. I want to give you a couple examples so that um, you can really begin to make sense of this song that Satan sings to try to mess with us. You see, temptation is Satan's way of getting us to have a high view, a really high view of God's mercy combined with a low view of God's justice or God's love. Pardon me. So you have a, in temptation, you have a very, very high view that God is merciful, that God forgives, that God uh, overlooks sin. And you have a low view that God is righteous and holy and just. Now, the opposite is true for accusation. Satan gets you on a very high view of God's holiness, of what you have to measure up to, and you have a very low view of God's love and God's mercy. Let me give you a couple examples. In temptation. One example might be what they call the bait, or present the bait and hide the hook. Sounds familiar, right, you fishermen out there? And what this is, is when Satan only brings to you to think of the short-term indulgence and misses the long-term effect or the long-term pain. So we think short-term of something I want to do, I'm really going to like this, I really want to do this, and we get tempted by it because we have a high view in that moment that God will overlook it, and a low view that God holds us accountable. And Satan shows us the bait and hides the hook. Another one was when we rationalize sin as virtuous. We rationalize sin as being virtuous. Let me give you a couple examples. Like, I'm not greedy, I'm just thrifty. I'm not nosy, I'm just concerned. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just social. You see what I'm saying? Like he, 
he tempts us to rationalize our sin as virtue. Another one might be he shows you the sin of maybe a Christian leader, and when you do, you say to yourself, well, look, even those people fall short. Just relax. Don't worry about it. High view of mercy, low view of justice. Or maybe he tells you, or maybe he causes in you a bitterness over your suffering. One of the ways that Satan's work is, is in our self-talk to say something like this, well, what I've been through, I can sort of let up on this part of my life because I've been through so much, so I could just give in on this part because of what I've been through. He causes bitterness over suffering. Another way Satan works is he shows, un, he shows the lives of unbelievers having a great and wonderful life. And he only shows you the best parts of their life, right? The only things that are going well. He never shows you the things that are not going well. And so what we end up telling ourselves are things like, you know, playing by the rules is just not cutting it for me. Why is it worth it? Look at those people. They have a great life, and I'm over here struggling. What's it worth it? And one of the ways that he, Satan oftentimes works in temptation is this, to compare one part of your life with another. So, for example, you might say, I'm doing great here, it's okay to relax sin over here. Now, an extreme example of this would be like the mafia, you know? N not to be funny, but like, I treat my mother well, so it's okay to whack this guy. They, they, they literally think that. That like, I have, there's honor in what I do because I'm so good to like my family or my mother, so I have permission to do this. Now, that's temptation. When Satan inflates our view of ourselves and, and tells us we're allowed to do things and God will forgive it and not worry about it, that's temptation. When you're being tempted, you in that moment have been presented an opportunity to indulge in something because you want to believe in the high view of God's mercy and the low view of God's justice. Now flip that. What about accusation? See, accusation, let me give you a few examples. Satan will cause you to look at your sins and forget about your Savior. So the only thing you think about is your sins, and you never think about your Savior. Sound familiar? Constantly on repeat in your mind are all the ways that you fail and never look into your Savior. You know, psychologists today, I think, are saying that our children need five compliments for every one criticism or one um, room for improvement comment. Um, so if that's the case, because children need to be encouraged and, and um, brought up, how much more for us with our Savior? I suppose it probably takes five looks at our Savior for every look at our sin to remind us of what he's done for us. Or maybe he causes you to focus on your past sins where damage has been done that cannot be undone and he convinces you that you might be unforgivable. Or maybe he causes you to believe that you are unworthy of love and acceptance. And self-talk sounds sort of like this. Out of all the things that I've done, all the things that I think, all the places I've been, who would ever want me? God certainly wouldn't. That's accusation. And the one that I probably hear most common in my own mind and in the lives of people I spend time with is this. That when Christians begin to believe that their inner struggle is evidence that they're a hypocrite and no longer a Christian. Like this. Here's what the self-talk sounds like. Real Christians don't feel this way. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't think that. And real Christians don't struggle with X, Y, or Z. And because you're struggling with X, Y, or Z, are you sure you're really a Christian? You see, that's under accusation, where you have a high view of God's justice, but an incredibly low view of his love and his mercy. So how are we going to fight this? Finally, with our power. In verse 10, this is where we find our power. He says in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
You see, in temptation, Satan puffs you up with too high a view of yourself. Basically, you have self-love that gives you permission to indulge. I'm allowed to do this for whatever reason. You have a multitude of reasons. But for whatever reason, I should be allowed to do this. But in accusation, he gives you too low a view of yourself, which we'll call self-hate that leads to destruction. And what's the answer? If you've got self-love on one side and self-hate on the other, where you have too high a view of yourself to indulge or too low a view of yourself to, de to destruction, what's the answer? Do we just kind of edge to the middle and maybe just self-like? Like, yeah, I'm all right. That's not the answer. In fact, anytime you find an answer that starts with the word self, it's probably not going to work. He says this, be strong in the Lord. Well, how, Paul, how can I be strong in the Lord this week, Monday? How can I be strong in the Lord to fight both temptation and accusation? He says, in the strength of God's power. Now, that might sound like kind of not helpful. Well, great. Be strong in his power. What does that mean? But if you remember what Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16, he tells you exactly what the power of God is. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Here's where it gets really practical for you if you want to fight Satan this week. It is the power of God. Now remember, the gospel, the power of God, is God doing for you what you could not do. God showing up and delivering you from a slavery that you were enslaved in, a condemnation that was over you, a judgment of guilt that you certainly were guilty of. God saving you from that, delivering you from that, something you couldn't do. So how's this work in temptation? Now in temptation, you're giving yourself permission to indulge in sin because you have this inflated view that you deserve to do this for whatever reason. The gospel reminds you of this, that each and every one of those sins, both that you've committed and that you want to commit, had to be paid for by somebody. I'll never forget, when I was in fifth grade, I think I've shared with you before, my dad lost his job, and um, it was in May, and baseball season was coming up, and the new Ken Griffey Jr., for those of you who don't know who Ken Griffey is, get on YouTube, you'll thank me later. He was the best baseball player ever, so cool. And these new Nike cleats came out that were super awesome. Uh, Ken Griffey, they had all these, like, different colors on them, and I really wanted them, although I had a pair of cleats that already fit me, that were my brothers the year before, and they were fine, and for weeks and weeks, all, that's all I could talk about was, just, oh, man, I want these shoes. I want these shoes. And I'll never forget walking upstairs. And I looked in, and I saw my dad um, in his drawer counting the $1 bills out, like, like getting the money out. And then I saw him grabbing some change. And then he came back with shoes. I'll never forget how much I didn't want those cleats when I recognized how much it cost him. You see, when you're tempted this week to indulge, whether it's the drug that's on the street or the drug that's in your mind, to tell the lie, to spread the gossip, to condemn with a judgmental thought, when you're tempted to do that, I want you to make it very real for yourself that somebody had to love you enough at the cost of their life for you to be forgiven of that sin in your life. And when his love becomes real to you, it will trump your desire for that sin. Sin problem is always a love problem. You love yourself more than you love God. And you don't realize how much he's loved you. Well, how does it work with accusation? That's how it works with temptation. 
accusation is when you feel condemnation for sin and you believe that no one would want to save you from what you're in. See, the gospel reminds you that, yes, in your sin, you have fallen short. But Christ was willing to go to the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus said, both your sin cost me my life, but I would willingly give my life for you. You see, in temptation, you're filled with pride. In accusation, you're filled with despair. But in the gospel, you're filled with humility and confidence all in one. And that is a life of freedom. And this week, as you fight Satan, fight temptation and accusation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are, without a doubt, somebody who has put Jesus Christ on the cross and his love for you put in there. And you're someone who said, I want to go to the cross for you. So how do you do this? How do you obey? Number one, you've got to get to know the schemes that Satan uses on you. You've got to get to know which string in your heart vibrates when he sings. Which one is it? You've got to get to know those things. As I listed some of those examples. And number two, you've got to fight with all of your might and energy. The lies and the schemes and the ways of Satan with the truth of the gospel so that you can have victory in Jesus Christ. And if you need to have victory in him, Maybe today, maybe you need forgiveness, maybe you need to start the walk with him. Maybe you've been losing to Satan over and over and over, and you're tired of losing. Let's have victory. Let's stand and sing. You can come.